0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for May 24th, 2019. In this week's episode, some Google security news, plus what's going on with Chinese phone maker Huawei and how it could affect Apple, plus an idea for email privacy and a look at the new MacBook Pro. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Hey, Josh, let's do something
1: different today. Instead of picking on Facebook like we've been doing... I don't know, every episode for the past couple of months. Let's pick on Google. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like fun. There's plenty to talk about this week with Google, so. There is. Google has been in the news uh, in a number of ways. Where to start? So I'm looking at the show notes that we've prepped here. Um, we've got three stories about Google. Let's start about the one where Google stored some passwords in plain text for fourteen years fourteen years. That's a long time
2: yeah it's it sounds strangely familiar to a topic that we discussed recently about Facebook doing I think pretty much the exact same thing, yeah. But 14 years, has Google even been around for 14 years? (laughs) Well, apparently uh, even G Suite has been around for 14 years because that's where this bug was discovered. This was actually a, a bug, they say, that caused some portion of G Suite users to have their passwords stored in plain text. So we should start out by explaining what G Suite is relative to other Google stuff. This is not the consumer version of Google Mail, Gmail, and uh, you know Google Docs, Google Drive, and all that kind of thing. G Suite specifically is the business and education version of uh, of all all of these Google tools put together.
1: Yeah, it's the big Google package. Um, it, it was initially released in 2006, so it wasn't 14 years ago. So I'm going to question that 14 years in the article. Uh, it originally was called Google Apps for Work. Then they changed it to Google Apps for Your Domain. Then they changed it to G Suite. W- while you say it's for business, any individual can use G Suite. Um, G Suite gives you a lot of advantages, and in fact, in the in the next story about Google we're going to talk about, I will mention one of them. I use Google for my personal email account. I have my own domain, and my email is hosted on Google, and that gives me access to the full G Suite app package, but they treat G Suite users a bit differently. Again, that's the, going to be for the next story. Um, so, 14 years, it says that they had plain text um, passwords, but they've only been around for 12, but... In any case, there was a bug, of course, a bug that allowed this to happen. How can it go on for so long? Don't companies do security audits from time to time to check things like this? A company the size of Google,
2: right? Yeah, that is a really good point, and and that's also what kind of made made it interesting recently with uh, with Facebook's story. It was a very similar thing where there's, they said, "Well, we're doing a security audit," and you know, I'm happy that companies are doing security audits. That's a great thing. And I'm also happy that they're at least being open and admitting that these things happened in public rather than just trying to hide it and pretend like it didn't really happen or saying, oh, well, you know, most of this stuff is really old news anyway, and so it doesn't really affect people anymore. It's good that they're being open and honest about this and and forthcoming with this kind of information. Because It's important to users to know that, hey, some password that I used back in the day that I may still be using with some accounts, maybe even with my Facebook, or in this case, Google account, um, maybe I'm still using an old password, and I guess I need to change it.
1: Yeah, and and before the show, we were discussing this, and I mentioned how You know, back in the day, I did reuse passwords in those years at BP or BPM before Password Manager uh, when it was really complicated to remember all your passwords. And uh, when I started doing it, I would write them down in a text file in an encrypted disk image. And so at least they were on my computer, easy to access, but it was still encrypted. Um, Obviously, password managers have, have made a big change to making this easy for anyone to use, um, and particularly because it's it sort of rolled into macOS and iOS. Um, but if you did use passwords back in, uh, the, apparently the, the bug has been around since 2005, so this is really pre-G Suite. If you did use any passwords back then, you should think twice about reusing them. Google says they're resetting any passwords that might have been affected. I haven't gotten any information. Did you?
2: No, no, I I haven't. But, um, you know, so either that means, I guess, that they just haven't contacted us yet or our passwords were not included in, you know, this uh, accidental leakage of passwords in plain text, you know, but in any case, I think it's still a good idea. If you are a G Suite user, uh, then it's probably a good idea to change your password anyway, um, just to be on the safe side. You know, it's not something where, I mean, if Google is supposedly notifying people, maybe you don't really need to, but it's not going to hurt.
1: Yeah, and if you're using um, two-factor authentication, you're also protected. What Google says in their blog post about this is that the passwords remained in our secure encrypted infrastructure. So they were in plain text, but they were still encrypted. In other words, someone inside Google could have easily accessed the password. They weren't available online by yeah, I don't know, entering a certain URL on a browser, you'd get a list of passwords, which that has happened in the past, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, not with uh, Google or Facebook, <laughs> but it, it certainly no. has happened, yes. I, I remember there's there's a big um, podcast network, actually, that had pretty much exactly that happen to them in the past. So <laughs> it can happen.
1: Okay, so Google story number two. Google has been tracking nearly everything you buy online, and you can check with a tool that's linked in this article from The Verge Essentially, if you have purchase receipts sent to your personal Gmail account, Google scans all this and keeps a
2: list of everything you've bought. Did you check yours? Yeah, actually, I did. And I had one purchase in there w- with a company that I had no idea had any affiliation with Google, by the way. It's not
1: that the company's affiliated with Google. It's that Google's scanning your personal email if you have a Gmail account. And it's just snarfing up all that data
2: and recording it. Well, what I find interesting, though, is that there's only this one purchase that was uh, recorded in here. And when is it from? This was a book that I bought in December 2013 from some random online bookseller.
1: Okay. Now, before the show, you mentioned that you have a G Suite account like I do. Did you change that... did you change a free Gmail account to a G Suite account at some point? Because when I look at mine, it says to me, you don't have any purchases. And as I was saying earlier, the difference with G Suite and the free account is
2: that Google's security is really high level. Hmm. No, this in this particular case, this is not uh, my G Suite account. This is an at gmail.com address.
1: Okay, well, that's interesting. Maybe you just don't use that address for purchases anymore.
2: That's probably what it is. Yeah, I I have um, a really old, old email address that predates Gmail that I tend to use for a lot of online shopping sites. So maybe this was a rare case where I actually happened to use my Gmail address to make a purchase.
1: Yeah, everyone should know that Google is scanning your email if you have a free Gmail account in order to present ads. This is not new. Um, The fact that they're scanning it to keep other data is probably not surprising as well. I'm going to link to a page on Google's website called G Suite Security and Trust, where they talk about all the security um, that they apply to paid G Suite accounts. The, the reason for this is that they say equipped for the toughest standards, standards like HIPAA, which is for um, health information and ISO standards and, and certifications. This is for businesses who need to have top security. And Google seems to be very serious about this if you pay them. It's only five bucks a month for a G Suite account. Now, I know Gmail is free and most people don't care, but you get so much more for that $5 a month in terms of security and even features that you
2: don't get with a free account. Right. I mean, and it, of course, you're still trusting Google with all of your information. Um, there's still some uh, drawbacks, I guess, to, to choosing to go with Google. But, you know, if, if you're already in that system, if you want to keep your mail pretty much the way that it is, that your mail experience, you know how Gmail works, um, then you can, you know, convert to G Suite and, uh, you know, get a little bit of uh, benefit like you're talking about. And I,
1: I just want to give some kudos to Google. Um, a couple months ago, I had a problem with um, some DNS problems with my email email. And I got a phone call from someone from Google to help me out, who spent an hour on the phone with me, who solved my problem, who explained all sorts of other things and neat settings that I could do to, to tweak my email and my domain. The guy was really, really helpful. And I'm paying five bucks a month. Um, I, I don't even get that kind of support from companies where I've bought expensive products. Um, are you listening, Apple?
2: So kudos to Google on that. Right. Yeah. And by the way, this is something that you can only get if you're a G Suite customer. You cannot get really any support from Google for free if you're not a paying customer. Exactly. So that is a, that is a good advantage of G
1: Suite. Uh, to, To be fair, five bucks a month, I mean, that's not much. That really isn't. Okay. So in other Google news, and I'm sure everyone's heard about this. Google pulls Huawei's Android license, forcing it to use the open source version. So Android is the operating system that Google has made for smartphones and tablets. Um, in addition to the version that they license to smartphone manufacturers and tablet makers, there's also a free open source version. And I don't know, it lags a bit behind the one that um, companies pay for. But because of this issue with the United States not trusting Huawei to roll out 5G infrastructure, which is another complicated thing that we'll maybe deal with in the future, Google has had to cut off Huawei's license to use Android. And this is going to have a huge effect on Huawei and other companies.
2: Yeah, this this is sort of an interesting move. Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of talk about um, about this. Um, so Huawei Huawei is a really interesting company. I think um, the the company uh, has has been around for a while. It's a Chinese company. And, and they make a lot more than just smartphones. Um, they actually make a lot of uh, of networking gear, as you were kind of alluding to. They they make uh, routers and switches and and all sorts of um, critical infrastructure type networking gear. On, I, I guess w- where this kind of all started is that um, you know certain people within the, the U.S. government um, and the current uh, administration believe that. The, they have reason to believe I think that China may be wanting to spy on the u s and so and because of huawei's um, ties however accurate the you know these things might really be they they sort of have this perception that Huawei is uh you know working with the Chinese government, and therefore you know we can't trust anything that Huawei manufactures. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not really sure how legitimate the, the claim is, but, um, I can, I can understand the perspective that if you are a government that believes that some other government may be trying to spy on you on purpose, then yeah, it probably makes sense to not use their equipment and, and to keep it out of your critical infrastructure within your, within your country. What I don't understand so much is the, uh, is how that translates into you know, Google shouldn't be allowed to share operating system updates with that company. That that seems very bizarre to me.
1: Well, it's not operating system updates. It's uh, Google's not going to be allowed to sell the operating system. They're grandfathering in existing phones where Huawei already has a license, but they're pulling it in the future. So if you do own a Huawei phone and you're listening to this, don't worry. You will still get updates for your phone. It's just new phones that are going to be sold From now on or from the fall on, I don't think it's actually applying immediately. Um, And the problem is that uh, the open-source version of Android is a bit behind the official version. Um, Huawei said that they're working on their own operating system, potentially to replace Android. Uh, It could be based on the open-source Android. um, And that they have a certain, uh, you know, enough staff, R&D staff, to be able to do the kind of work necessary for security updates. Uh, But it does mean that Huawei phones will be in a sort of a limbo for a period. Huawei is the biggest um, seller of phones in China, uh, far more than Apple. I think 30%, whereas Apple's at about 7%. They're a very popular company. They were founded in 1987 in Shenzhen, which at the time uh, had just turned into uh, the beginnings of the place where China was building things for the world um, which is now, this is where Apple's products are built, and all well, these computer and technology products are built there. It was founded by someone who was a former deputy director of the People's Liberation Army in order to upgrade all of China's telecommunications t- technology, which was all imported from abroad, and they wanted to make their own stuff. Um, it is a huge company, and as you said, they make things other than just smartphones and infrastructure, and they've got you know, all, all sorts of, they make computers, they make, um, you know, everything from uh, end-user devices to, to full infrastructure. The, the question of spying is, well, if there's an American company, couldn't they spy as well? You know, when you've got this critical cell phone and internet infrastructure, there could always be a backdoor in it someplace. I guess we're more likely to trust companies from the countries where we live, but of course the... Blowback to this is that there seems to be a growing—it's not yet a boycott, but there seems to be a growing movement to stop buying non-Chinese smartphones. Um, and this could affect Apple um, severely. A- Apple gets a huge amount of their profits from the Chinese market, and they're looking at China as a growth market. Um, and this could be a big effect for Apple if there is this sort of nationalist um, desire to buy local, locally-made smartphones instead of imported smartphones. They're much cheaper. If you look at the cost of the iPhone XR, which is today's cheapest um, iPhone, in China, it costs the equivalent of about $950, whereas Huawei's top-end handsets, according to the New York Times, started about $600. The iPhone XS starts at around $1,250. So it's true that the Chinese are likely to be more interested in buying products from their own companies, in particular because these companies are catering to their home market, maybe with better apps, better ecosystems, better understanding of their users. So this could have a big effect on Apple in terms of their overall sales. Uh, as far as 5G is concerned, uh, I know that the phone companies that I use here in the UK is rolling it out um, in a number of cities very soon. And we'll have a discussion about this in a coming episode because there are a lot of interesting things in 5G, um, interesting in a good way, but also interesting in a bad way. Uh, the fact that you're going to need about a million masts instead of 10,000 masts to cover it because the range is much shorter. But this will raise security issues. And so we'll talk about this in the future. Anyway, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about Apple.
0: If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac, ...or switch to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected... And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intigo.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 50%. That's PODCAST19 to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intigo, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intigo.com today. Okay, last week we talked about the
1: WhatsApp uh, vulnerability, where, what was the story? Someone could give you a call on WhatsApp, and even if you didn't answer, uh, malware could be implanted on your device. And this was a state-sponsored hack. This was not targeting um, you and me. I don't even have WhatsApp installed. You might. So we've gone through that, and WhatsApp announced, WhatsApp owned by Facebook, let's just remind everyone, um, WhatsApp announced this, said to everyone, update, and and all this. Now, John Gruber, who writes the Daring Fireball blog, um, has an interesting article called, Bloomberg does something on the bed again on cybersecurity. Sorry, it's one of those words we can't say, um, or we'll have to say that this podcast is explicit. It's quite a long article, but I think it's an interesting read. Uh, Essentially, what he's pointing out is that the original title of a Bloomberg article was WhatsApp hack shows end-to-end encryption is pointless. Um, it later went on to say shows end-to-end encryption has a vulnerability. There were different versions of titles. It is a gimmick, "Is a marketing gimmick. And uh, it's like Bloomberg, uh, we do cite Bloomberg um, often because some of their authors are really quite good, but they've made some huge mistakes. And the problem here is that This has nothing to do with end-to-end encryption. This is not a flaw in end-to-end encryption. It's a flaw in WhatsApp that allowed something to be installed on a device. But no matter what, your communications are still encrypted. This has nothing to do with end-to-end encryption. Bloomberg, of course, was going on to say that, you know, oh, end-to-end encryption is useless.
2: Yeah, that's um obviously what <laughs> was a mistake. And they have updated the headline of the article so that now it says Intuit encryption isn't as safe as you think, which is still uh kind of misleading. So the here's here's the thing. So end-to-end encryption, um the idea behind this is that from one device to another device, um when uh, when a message before a message leaves the first device it's encrypted using a key that only the second device knows um and and can therefore the uh, only the second device can decrypt that message um that's the idea behind into an encryption meaning that no matter where that message goes along the way if it goes through you know Huawei <laughs> you know, uh, switches and, uh, and other networking devices, or it doesn't, you know, whatever country that message passes through, it's going to get to the other end, still encrypted, and nobody else will be able to, to sort of break into that or steal that message. That's the idea behind into an encryption. So when that, even this current headline, into an encryption isn't as safe as you think, is not. Uh it's very misleading. I think what they're what the- No, it's false. <laughs> it's false. Come on. What 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 this guy who wrote Come on, Josh. Come <laughs> on.
1: It's it's this the only way end to end encryption would not be safe is if the key used is too short. I think generally we use a 128-bit key for that sort of thing maybe even 256. If they were using a 4-bit key then it could be cracked.
2: Well, but- that's true. <laughs> yeah, if you're using terrible encryption on both ends, uh if it's based on like the RC4 or IC- RC5 cipher then uh yeah, it's it's no good and that and then in that case it's true. But nobody uses that for doing encryption.
1: Well, many many people who have experience on bulletin board services and forums are familiar with ROT thirteen. Um, if you use that to encrypt, it, forget about it. Even you know, young children can
2: figure that or one out. Or you can use ROT twenty six. Now people are going to have to look this Ooh, up and find out what we're that's talking about.
1: Good, po- very good point. Okay,
2: <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll link. I'll
1: link to a Wikipedia article about it in the show notes.
2: <laughs> okay, so um, here here is what I think they were getting at. What they were trying to explain in the article is. If you've got malware on your device, uh, then that malware can see whatever it is you're typing before it ever gets encrypted. And yeah, that's true. But that doesn't mean that into an encryption isn't safe. It just means that your device is infected. And so that information got stolen before it was encrypted.
1: And if Tom if Tom Cruise is in the row behind you in the plane and he's watching you as you type on your computer, the same thing is going to happen. As we've said over and over, physical access trumps all security.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, it, well, it's the same on the other end, too. So even if you sent that message encrypted, it, if it gets to the recipient and their device is hacked or someone else is looking over their shoulder or whatever, then, again— you know, they're going to be able to see it, but that's, that's a totally different thing. The, the actual into an encryption worked, but it, it's just that someone else saw the message before or after it was encrypted. And that's a totally different problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I would not worry if you've read that Bloomberg article, Um, but read the Daring Fireball article if you don't understand about how this works, because it does point out kind of what Josh says, but just with more words. If you want more words, read that article. Um So Apple is trying to make web ads truly private. This one's a bit complicated. When you click on a web ad, you're paying someone... Because of your click. So Google ads, Google um, has this system where an advertiser can enter keywords and that's according to people's searches. So I don't know, you search for Josh Long and some advertiser is selling um, I love Josh t shirt. So every time you search for Josh Long, you're going to get an ad for the t-shirt and you're going to click on that ad. And that's going to send you to the I love Josh Long t-shirt website. And Google's going to get a few cents from the click. It's essential that ads work like this, that they're not just free. But of course, there are all sorts of tracking things that we've talked about many times that uh, advertising networks will set up cookies on your device and use your browser profile and user profile to get an idea of all the things you buy and all the things you search for in order to give you more ads. So someone at Apple has outlined a new system called Privacy Preserving Ad Click Attribution. And this would help marketers track ad success without tracking individual users. What can we understand from this? To me, this looks
2: really complicated. Well, Apple explains in this article on, on the WebKit blog that um, here's kind of how things normally work. They say with traditional privacy invasive ad click attribution, Uh, they say that it's done through the use of cookies and tracking pixels. And a tracking pixel is just uh, an invisible image on a page that when loaded, it notifies the web server that that page was visited. And it usually has some unique identifiers tied to it so that they know that when you load that invisible image, that it's you who loaded it.
1: Right. Because it connects to a profile that they've built, which is related to cookies in your browser, cache, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Right. So so following their, their example, you search for a particular word, um, you click on an ad, for that, that, where that word came up. And then uh, you, you, let's say you add that item to your shopping cart. Now, once you've done that, that sticks in your profile. So I'll just quote from them. They, they say that in, br- in browsers without appropriate privacy protections, that site will identify that same person through their cookies every time that, uh, that they, uh, every time that a tracking pixel is sent to that user. So, um, so they say this is pervasive technology. It allows that site to learn everything that that individual does on that shopping website and all other websites that send similar tracking pixels. And they say, um, even worse, all these pixels fire regardless of whether that person has clicked on an ad or not.
1: Yeah. These pixels are, are. These pixels load when you load a web page. Uh, and in, in fact, if you want to avoid some of this tracking, uh, you should go into your email client and turn off whatever setting it is that displays images and emails because HTML, HTML emails do the same thing. So when you load an HTML email, uh, if the images are displayed, it indicates to the sender that you have read the email. But it could also indicate that, hey, I clicked this email with an ad about cat litter and this person's going to want more cat litter.
2: Right. So so Apple uh by way of this WebKit blog is saying that they have um some better ideas on how this can be done that uh makes it more anonymous. Okay. So I guess the one of the key things in the way that Apple is suggesting that this should be done is um I'll I'll quote this sentence. It says once the browser has matched a conversion against a stored ad click, it sets a timer Randomized between twenty four and forty eight hours when that timer fires, the browser uh makes an ephemeral stateless post request to the same well known location so basically um they're they're setting some time limits on on how long this uh this tracking will go on, so that let's say weeks from now. They're not able to identify that you're the same person uh, and, and they say twenty four to forty eight hours kind of kind of basically makes sense because you know you may still be shopping at that site for some related reason, but uh, beyond that you you're not going to be shopping for the same reason probably on that on that site or other sites that you're visiting.
1: imagine that you're looking for a new refrigerator it's Saturday and you're spending an hour or two looking at different websites you're looking at refrigerators, and then you go out and you buy one. Um, and then for the next three weeks, you keep seeing refrigerator ads on the web because you looked at a lot of refrigerators. Um, so this could eliminate that. Th- this is all very complex. I'll link in the show notes to this um, article on the WebKit uh, blog. Now, WebKit, we've mentioned many times, is the framework that's used uh, to render web pages in Safari. Safari itself is just like an envelope for web WebKit also is what uh, Apple Mail uses. Chrome browser uses WebKit, et cetera. If you want to try this out, you can download the Safari technology preview. And this is a version of Safari that Apple um, releases regularly with updates to new technologies before they go into the public release of Safari. And if you are involved in security, if you're a web designer, you will want to use this as your browser. Um, it's essentially, this. It's like it's like the beta version of Safari in many ways. And so I'll link to that as well in the show notes. And you can check all these things out and try and figure it out. I find it really complicated, but anything that could be done to eliminate these massive ad profiles, I think would be a good thing. Okay, in other Apple news, um, last thing. We don't often talk about new Apple products, but Apple has a new MacBook Pro, and it's
2: been a while. And you know what? It's the fastest Mac notebook ever. Yeah, we were discussing before the show how that's... It's kind of hilarious that Apple still continues to say that in their press releases, because isn't every MacBook Pro that they come out with the fastest MacBook Pro ever? Like, do they really need to say that? I know, right?
1: (laughs) Well, maybe someone... Maybe someone never heard it before. Maybe there's someone in the world who cares about Macs who's never heard it before. Um, They're not lying because each one is a little bit faster for one reason or another. Faster processors, faster RAM, faster input-output, and and all that. The thing that I'm thinking about with this new MacBook Pro, and I'm actually tempted to get one. My current MacBook Pro is a year and a half old, is that MacBook Pros are getting to be as expensive as low-end iMacs. If I were to buy one of these with a touch bar, an additional RAM, because you don't want just eight gigabytes of RAM, it's pretty much the cost of the 21-inch iMac that I have. Not to say that there's anything inferior about the MacBook Pro, but you just kind of expect the desktop Mac to have better specs and to be a little bit more expensive, don't you?
2: Yeah, well, I, I guess the idea is that, you know, the Pro is really not designed for the everyday consumer. These are the, the people who buy the Pro, I guess the main audience is, uh, you know, people who do tend to do things like video production and things like that while they're on the go, that does, you know, tend to be a lot nicer with a better, faster processor, a faster machine.
1: Yeah, fair point. But the other options are the MacBook Air and the plain 12-inch MacBook. Um, and it's not even the processor that's limiting. It's it's often just the number of ports. Uh, I believe this has four um, Thunderbolt two ports, whereas mine only has two, which means that I have dongles. If I need to charge and plug something in, but then plug another thing in, I need to have dongles to be able to do it. So there are lots of limitations. But of course, they do highlight things like Logic Pro, uh, which is an audio editing tool, uh, Final Cut Pro. Video editors can edit up to 11 simultaneous multi-cam streams of, of 4K video in Final Cut Pro X. Now, I don't understand what that means, but it sounds impressive. Eleven multicam streams of 4K video—that's like 44K with multicam. So I don't know; it must be pretty good.
2: Sounds impressive.
1: <laughs> and and the bit about scientists and researchers can compute complex fluid dynamics simulations up to 50% faster. I mean, who doesn't do complex fluid dynamic simulations on the weekend, right? On their laptop, exactly. Okay, um, that, that's <laughs> enough for this week. Josh, aren't you off to some foreign country next week?
2: Um, Yeah, actually, I will be in Monaco um, giving a presentation at Objective by the Sea, um, which is a, uh, well, really the uh, Mac security conference. It's really the only conference that focuses very specifically on Mac security. And I'll be giving a talk on Mac malware attribution there.
1: Okay. And just for listeners to
2: understand the name Objective by the Sea, there's like a pun in there, I think. Well, Objective C is a programming language, and uh, and Patrick Wardle's website is Objective S E E uh, instead of the letter C, and uh, and that's uh, his site is where you can find some utilities and things, to, uh, you know, like a a way to tell if somebody opens your laptop, an Evil Maid attack warning tool. <laughs> And he's evil made attack. Yeah, yeah, he's got some some cool utilities. And so now he he has a conference. And so he calls it Objective by the Sea, S-E-A. And uh, and that's where uh, people go to learn about Mac security topics. So,
1: okay, so in a couple of weeks, when you come back, you're going to tell us all about what you told all the people at the conference. Uh, Until then, enjoy your trip. I hope the weather's good and stay secure. All right. Stay secure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com.